Dear Heavenly Father, we do come before you, the King of kings and Lord of lords. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to move our hearts, to draw us in, that we can sit at your feet. That, God, you would just be with us, that you would guide us, that you would give us ears to hear, no matter how it's said, Lord, that you would use the words that are being um, said from my mouth, Lord, to touch people's hearts, that your word would be what's important. What you have to say, what the Spirit is moving in the heart, would be important, Lord. And I just thank you for this great and awesome opportunity you've you've provided, that you've drawn us all here, that we get to come and study your word, and Lord, and sit before you. I just pray, Father, that you would just lead and guide in all that is heard, all that we receive, that we would be open to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, You know, we just came out of a time where, uh, was it in February, the the Winter Olympics was on, and, and it was really for... For us and our family, that's always a big time. We watch a lot of sports. We like sports. Uh, It's really interesting because winter sports, we don't really see that much of over here. And we get to see different things. And what I I was really uh, taken aback by, not taken aback, um, noticed a lot of was that um, how much you see the competitors, as before they go through the half pipe, go through the, the different um, events, uh, the bobsled and everything, you see them at the start line with their eyes closed and just going through the course, what they're going to do, how they're going to do that. This whole um, uh, system of vis- visual, man, I, I, visualization that they go through, that they know in their mind, this is what they want to do, what the body's going to do, where they're going to do it. Each turn that, that's on that bobsled, they know when they're going to have to lean, where they're going to line up to come in and out. It's, it's an interesting process of, of the mind that we go through and how the mind and what we think often can control and set ourselves and our heart and what we believe and how we believe. So visualization for that, generally speaking, is a process of creating a mental image or intention of what you want to happen or feel in reality. The athlete can use this technique to to intend an outcome of a race or training session or simply rest and relax so they feel calm and well-being. It is a, a process that is used. And, and where we're going with this whole idea is brings us really towards this question is, what comes to mind when you think of God? I, I don't know how often we really think about this. And, and, and um, we just went through a great time of worship, a time of prayer. What are we thinking about during that time? And who are we thinking about? And what does he look like while we're thinking about all of this and doing it? And as we go through, and um, what is that image that we have in our mind? Do we just kind of blank out? Do we actually have something that we taken from our past and, and it becomes what we think God is. It, it, it led me down this road to this book that, that is from A.W. Tozer called The Knowledge of the Holy. And he writes in there, what comes into your mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What we think about God. Because the God is the basis of all For the Christian, what our future is based on, what our hope is based on, what we think about, and it influences us, what the outcome will be, 
how, as in visualization of the athlete, how this event is going to come about. What am I going to do? How do I, how am I going to react? He goes on and says, the history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base. As the worshiper entertains high and low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question for the, for the church is always God himself. And the most preposterous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. What is he like? He also goes on and says, We tend by a secret law of the soul, move towards our mental image of God. It draws us there. It's what we think of. If we think God's a good God, wow, hey, that's neat. He's always there. He's going to be there for us. He's going to do these things for us. If you were like me, I grew up, you know, a very competitive, trying to establish myself, trying to be something. You grow up in, in, in a time of, um, hey, uh, I want to be the smartest. I, I want to do well at work. I want this kind of job. I want this kind of, you know, you have your little plan for what your future is going to be, for what it's going to look like. And it's all based on something that you have in your mind what you think it should be, what you're driven by, by this need to achieve to show, need to achieve to become somebody, to, to make yourself a little different, to, to make yourself show up a little bit better. And we often just want to show ourselves in such a way that this is who we are, right? Look at me. And we come and we see this and we have this thing where, where we just become this image of maybe what our parents had put pressure on us to be. Maybe uh, what we thought of in school, our, our, our classmates, our people that we hang out with. Hey, you should be this. You should look like this. I mean, look at the society we live in today. We're here with our phones and thinking TikTok and, and um, Instagram is the opinion of the world, is the opinion for my life to say, this is what I'm supposed to be. And in fact, that even, when we come to the Bible, taints the way we look at what God is and who he is and how he is. It has an impact on everything and how we look. We often see it either, you know, if we go to the one extreme where, where God is good, God, God is just, you know, um, even in ministries you see it. Oh, he's nothing but good. He's nothing but love. He's, hey, we're talking about a God who is also just, who is holy, who requires something of us, who in the end of days will judge all things. Yes, he is love, but we need to balance it to the truth of what the Bible has to tell us and what it has to say. And we can't just go in and out. Whether it's trying to achieve, whether we think God is love, or even, right, the big thing uh, of probably like, 80s, 90s, was God is the force, right? Star Wars, that was so big. Yes, he is just out there, this floating around influence in our lives and will be there when you need him, when you call upon him. God is not a genie that we rub the bottle and he pops out and he does what you want him to do. He is there He is God. And that's really 
what we're going to be going through and looking at. He tells us you are precious in his sight, right? Because of what Jesus has done, you are my son, right? We see in, 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 um, in back in Matthew in 6, it's, it starts out the Lord's Prayer. Our Father. He is our Father for all those who have come to him and put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. He has done so much for us. We are his son and daughter. We are precious in his sight. But do we believe that? Or do we believe the, the, the lies and the tales of the world and the pressures of the world? That we're trying to live to what the world has to say versus what God says we already are. Not what we're trying to live up to. This is what we are because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because of the atonement of what he has done. He paid the penalty that we couldn't pay. It tells us in Romans 8, 5, so, so you have not received a spirit that makes you feel that fear slaves. Instead, you receive God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father. That's who we are. That's who we are in Christ. And that's our God. And, and we create all these kind of strange ideas. And, and we all, in the end, are kind of off on what God really is. Because we have these influences. And what we are going to go through today is maybe to reset our minds, reset our thinking a little bit to what does the Bible have to say our God is? What is this look that we have about our God? Tozer goes on, and, and I got a lot of quotes from Tozer from his book, and I really liked it. Um, he goes on and says, By his nature, he is inclined to bestow blessedness, and he takes holy pleasure in the happiness of his people. He also writes, The whole outlook of mankind might be, might be changed if we could all believe that we dwell under a friendly sky, and that the God of heaven, though exalted in power and majesty, is eager to be a friend with us. Do we believe that? Or do we believe that God is up there going, come on, you do. If you do this, you're going to get slapped on the hand. If you do that, you know, because we've been taught, I mean, we've been raised in some ways to, to believe um, if I do this, I earn that, right? I mean, that's, that's our society today. We have jobs. If I do my job, I get paid. It kind of ingrains in us. And we often take that same attitude and we place it on God and how he sees us. But that's not what we're reading. That's not what we see in the Bible. We see a God who wants us to draw near to him, who wants us to be with him. So all of us are a little bit off on our thinking of who is God and who he is to us. But it's, it's this journey that we need to take every once in a while. We need to stop and think about this and, our, and, and challenge ourselves and ask ourselves, you know, is God... I want you to see me as I am. That's what God is asking of us. He wants you to see God himself so clear and not the God that we made up in our minds, not the God that is being passed around in just basic Christianity. Hey, this is love. This is how we are as Christians. He wants you to see them, see him as the real God, the God he is, the God of the Bible. And that's where we want to go. And how he longs for you to see him, and, and, and as we go through this portion of the study, it, it, it begs us to ask this question. What is your perception of God? I don't know how often you stop and think about that. 
we often read, right? We often pray, but do we often ask, what is my perception of God? And so as we start this, this study, and, and as we go through it, there's some principles we have to keep in line. We have to keep in mind or else we're just going to go off in our own little rabbit trail. We're going to go off into these are our influences from the past, so that, that's where I'm comfortable. I'm going to stay in them. And it's these basically three common mistakes that we make. And, and really what we want to see is we really come here and, and I'm asking of you guys, do you want to see the real God? Do you want to see in your 2020 vision who God is? I'm not saying I got all the answers, but I want to point us in the right direction. But it's not, we're not here to just, hey, tell me more facts about God. Tell me more information about God. And that will help me. I want you to start thinking about your relationship with God. That your God wants you to know him. Not know more about him. We can go on Wikipedia. We can go on the internet. And we can find out all kinds of things about people. Right? Hey, who's their brother? Who are they married to? How many cats and dogs do they have? The Bible is calling us to say, who is God? And I want you to know me. I want you to have a relationship. And more than anything, I hope you get that out of this message, is God wants a relationship. He wants you to know who he is. Not more knowledge, but a connection to his heart. Knowing him in an intimate way, a relational way, not just facts, and not just these ideas floating in your mind. Again, I go back to when we prayed, what is it that you thought of? Who, who were you praying to? Some of us might even think, hey, I had nothing going on up here. And I don't think that's a good thing, because God is not double negative, nothing. But so, coming back to... These are the three principles that that we want to go through to get us on track, to keep ourselves in line. So the first thing we want to see that we need to know is, number one, God is not like you, and God is not like me. Because that's the easiest answer for us, to always perceive God to be just like me. Because I can control it, I can maneuver it, I can keep it within the box, right? But that's our tendency. God is much bigger than what we are. He is much better. He is much purer. His, the vision of him is just so much bigger of who he is. He is there in all creation, right? He is, he is above all things, and, and he created all things. And, and it, it really is that idea of his holiness, right? To be holy, the word holy is to, to be other, to be something different, separated, something totally different. We are all created beings. Angels are created There's only one creator, and he is totally separate. In fact, most of the times when we see talking about God being holy, it's not just holy, it's holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's just telling you, he's separate. No, he's more than just separate. He's separate, separate. And he's even more than that. It is so much bigger than what we tend to put it as. We tend to just have this, oh, he's like me. He's my cosmic buddy. High five Jesus. That's how we, we perceive him and we see him. Right? That's why in the Ten Commandments, he said, we'll have no other gods. Make no other images. Make no other thought of who you think I am. 
But let me tell you who I am. In the, um, the book by C.S. Lewis, uh, The Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe, there was this conversation between Aslan, the big lion, and Lucy, the little girl. And, and she asked, Aslan, are you tame? And he says, no, I am not tame. I am loving and I am compassionate, but I am not tame. God is not tame. God cannot be put in a box. God cannot be put in our image, in our mind, in such a way that we can control it, that we can control who he is and what he can do and how he does things. So God is not tame. In Romans eleven thirty-three through 36, Paul, after all these chapters, 11 chapters of, of how we were, you know, our state, our, our wrath with God, and then what Jesus Christ has done for us, and then the life we now can live, the sanctification and going on. He, he just, he is so revved up at this point. He goes on and he says, All the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways. For who knows the mind in the north? Who can figure that out, right? He's saying who can contain it? Or who has been his counselor? Who, who, who talks to God and tells him what to do? Or who has given him a, a gift to him that he might have to repay? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. I mean, Paul just goes out and goes, man, God is so big. God is so awesome. He is so much bigger. And from him and through him and to him are all things created. That's why we're here. It's for him. I mean, have you ever really thought that through and seen all that we do is for the purpose of God? We often think it's for us, right? It's about me. But if we get the true light of what God, of who God is and what he wants from us, he wants us to be friends with him. He wants us to have a relationship with him. He wants us to be with him. And so we see in that thing that God is not like us. So the second thing I want you to see is very similar, a little different. Left to ourselves, we tend to reduce God to, a man, to manageable terms. Right? If it's our choice, I'm going to make him the way I want to that makes it work for me. That fits in my idea of what I can see, what I control, that I can manipulate that I can take even his word and say, this is for me, this is not for me. This pertains to my life, and because I don't like this, I'm going to just kind of disregard that. Every world religion, right, is based upon so much of some kind of totem, some kind of icon. I mean, even here in Hawaii, we have Pele, right? The volcano, Madame Pele. Something we can touch, the Aina. Something we can touch, Mother Nature. We just want to be able to, to maneuver it and manage it. Isaiah goes on to say to the people as they were um, bringing up their idols... He says, "You worship gods. You worship gods that ha- that. Okay, you worship gods that you have made yourselves. They have ears and they can't hear. They have hands, but they can't feel. They have feet, but they can't walk. It's so different of how." God really is, and how we reduce him to 
being the something that I can manage, I can touch. I mean, just think about it. If we go back in Exodus, the, the children of Israel, right? They're in this land of Egypt. They hate it. They're being controlled. Get me out of here. They see ten plagues of God. Ten awesome miracles of wiping out all these gods of Egypt, right? Ten gods of Egypt. They knew they were gods, and each one were being taken out. They see that happen before that. They, they, all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the frogs, the, the mites, the, the flies, the, the blood. And the last one was, who was their god but Pharaoh? And the next god would be Pharaoh's son. And that was the last god. That was taken out. And all of a sudden, um, middle of the night, there you go. Egypt, get, I mean, uh, Israel, get out of here. here. Here's some gold. Here's some silver. Here's some food. Get out of my land. Get away from me. This great miracle of God. They then go and they see the Red Sea. They're walking on dry land. I mean, there must be mountains of water just right next to them. And they're walking. They see a great miracle. They're walking through the, you know, I mean, they must have caught on. This should be an 11-day trip to the promised land. And they're out there 40 days. And they're out there, and they see and they hear about Moses going to the mountain, Mount Sinai. And they hear the voice of the Lord, Right? And they are so afraid. They say, Moses, no, you go. You go deal with it. We can't handle it. We can't take hearing the voice of the Lord. Doesn't that what all we want? We want to always hear the voice of the Lord. And they say, I can't handle it. So they send Moses, and he goes up to the mountain. And he's up there 40 days. And they decide... Hey, I think there's something happening here. There's something wrong. And they go and they say, Aaron, we don't know what happened to your brother. Let's, let's do the thing that we know. The thing that we used to do in Egypt. Let's get a bull. Let's create an idol. And let's call it Yahweh just to be safe. And worship it. And act like we are in Egypt. Right? It talks about them being in revelry, this debauchery, this whole scene of being out of control. And God says, hey, Moses, there's a problem down there. There's a problem down there. You see, Israel came that close to their God, that close to seeing and, and being able to touch their God, and only wanted to get that close. Tozer also says of, of that, right? We tend, to, tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. They went back to their mental image of God. It was what they knew in Egypt. It what was what was comfortable. It was for them making themselves God on their own terms. So, but in the end, right? What is it with us? We see all these examples of physical idols, and we're going, we don't have, I don't have an idol. I don't, I don't have this little thing sitting in my living room, you know, and a little arch around it, and I come home and pray to this thing. But for us, especially in America, it's about the success. It's about the family. It, it, it's about the money, the prosperity, the house, the job, the car I drive, the position I hold, the comfort that I get to have. And I make an idol out of it. That's what I worship. That's what, even though I don't make a physical idol out of it, how often, you know, the education we go through, the job we have, 
We may not have a picture of it, but it is an idol in our lives. It's very similar to the idol for, Mo, um, for Abraham with his son, Isaac. Why do you think God asked him to sacrifice him? Because Isaac had become the idol for him. And he wanted to see Moses, I mean, Abraham. Are you willing to give up your idol? That which is controlling your life. So we just see that in, in, in our lives. We do the same. And the third thing we want to see is that God can only be known as he reveals himself to us. And I'm going to go through three different um, ways he reveals himself to us. And really the first way is he reveals himself through nature. Right? We see around us all that he has created. It says in Psalm 19.1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They just reveal him. I mean, my wife I was pointing out the window. Look at, look at the sky. Look at how beautiful it is. Hey, we're very fortunate here in Hawaii, right? Especially on Maui. Look at how beautiful the ocean is, how clear. I mean, I remember in California, man, I'd be lucky to see 10 feet. We have so much that we get to, to enjoy the, the beauty of the land, the skies, the, the skies around us because it's so clear it's, that we don't have all that light pollution going on. But if we ever stop and look at it and we just figure out who created that. I mean, we barely see these. We see these stars here and it is just a minute amount of stars that have been created. I mean, we think, oh, maybe we can see the Milky Way, our galaxy, right? There's hundreds more galaxies that are out there. And that's in the span of his hand that he holds it all together. That's how big our God is. He reveals himself. He reveals who he is. And just also the ideas of uh, who creates a bird, right? We know the birds, they come and they nest here, and then they go away. They go away for a year, and how is it they come back to the same spot? We see the whales. We know them. They come. We see the, the monk seals. We even have names for them now. They come and they hang out at the same beach. It all just speaks of the majesty of God, of who our creator is, of how much he has done and what he, what he does for us. And it is about taking the opportunity. I, I, I know when I come out, when I turn, I see the hills, right? I see Haleakala. And I always think... I look onto the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from thee, the maker of heaven and earth. It, it, guys, we are so busy. We are running. We are moving. We are doing things. We need to stop at times and take inventory of our life and say, wow, this is what our God for our enjoyment, and it speaks of how much he cares for us, how much he, he loves us. And as we go and, and, and as we, we just see all that he does, right, what does that do in, in our lives? You know, we... we we come to times of prayer. We come to times of, of let's come before the Lord. And what we, we often think about and pray about are our ailments, right? Oh, pray for Bob. He, he broke his foot. Pray for Jane. She's going to have a surgery. 
I mean, it's almost like we come to prayer meetings and it's all about these medical problems that we have and that we see. But it's interesting is if we see him as that powerful and that awesome that we can come to him. If we look at how Paul prayed as an example and listen to what he says, he says, as he goes in his, his writing, says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. He says, I pray that you might grasp the height and the depth and the length and the breadth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I pray that God would give you insight into his will, that you could discern good from evil in order that you might walk in a manner worthy of him. I pray that you would understand the depth of his love for you, how precious of an inheritance you are, you are to him and the power that dwells within you. I pray that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will. You see these prayers of Paul in Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians, right? We're we're not the Apostle Paul, and I understand that. But it seems like he's asking not so much for tactical things, for healings of little things. And, And I don't think it's wrong that we do that. But I think he is actually believes that if people could see God, that if you could see God for who he is, if he could be, if we could be aligned, if we could have God reveal Himself, that we would be open and that we would follow His will. All these other tactical things would be dealt with will be taken care of. I truly believe that's how Paul prayed. And as we move on, the second way God reveals himself is through his word. We see in John 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with He was in the beginning with God. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of the world. As you go through the the word, the Bible that he gave us, I mean, just you see the acts of God. You see the prophecies of God, the promises of God, right? In his creation, we see this creator of awesome power, this acts of God. In Adam and Eve, we, we see these relationships he wants with us. And with one another. That he developed and said this is good. We see the formation of Israel. And this perpetuation of how he kept them together. And kept them going. Even though they'd gone through many different uh, paths. Right? 40, 40 years around a mountain. You'd think they would have got it somewhere around that way. But 40 years. But he kept them. He sustained them. Right? Sandals never went out. Food was always there. Provided water. 40 years. And all the prophecies that we saw of the coming of the redemption and was fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ in his first coming. And as we we just celebrated Easter in his first death, in his death that he had, his atonement for us, and, and then from there we see the character, the characteristics of that person who has accepted Christ, who, has, who wants to walk in his love, who wants to walk as he called him to, who goes through the Beatitudes and said, this is the characteristics of a follower of Christ. We see that. And then the final second coming of Christ when things will be as he wants it to be we see that throughout the scriptures we see that in the word if we are willing to read it for not just 
verbiage, not just knowledge, but for what it has to say to us because God wants a personal relationship with us. He is telling us, hey, guys, this is how you draw closer to me. And he also told us, if you draw close to me, I will draw close to you. He is not looking for acts. He is looking for a relationship. He is looking for your heart to be given over. And the third thing we really see is God reveals himself through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. He's the exact image of God, right? He said he... he, he what is that verse? I just, just remembered it. Memorized it. That he didn't consider it robbery to be called God. Saying that I am the same as God the Father. And I don't say I'm lowering my, him and I'm not making him any different. Because I am God. He reveals that. We, we see it just... Jesus explaining the Father and who he is. And he wants you to know this is what God looks like. This is what the Father looks like. It's in me that you will see that. It is, as you read the Bible, you see it. Jesus always needs to be our focus. As much as we read of the other Gospels, I recommend to you always come back. Always come back to the Gospels. If we read the other books, always come back to the Gospels because it talks of Jesus specifically. And it tells you of him. And we see in Hebrews 1, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to to the fathers by the prophets, has in the last days spoken to us by his son, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, Jesus Christ represents the Father exactly. He's that icon. He's that impression in the Play-Doh when we push the coin in and we pull it out and we can see exactly what it looks like. It's that impression in our lives that he looks exactly like that. In Colossians 2, it says, All the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Christ. So if we want to know God, what he looks like, we look at Jesus. We look at what the word has told us about him and his attributes. And it's funny, even this this thought was, was... talked about during the last supper the last the last night right where where Jesus is telling the disciples and 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 they're talking about you know preparing and and going and he's encouraging them not to lose hope that in 3 days yes I'm going to die but I will rise again and he talks to him and he says you know the way that I go and Thomas pipes up and says, hey, hey I, no, no, I, no, I, I don't get the way that you go. I don't get that, Lord. I think, in a sense, right, for, for Thomas, it's like, I, I don't get it, Lord. You, you're kind of just talking in these circles of things. And Jesus tells them, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to Father except by me. That's the way. And then Philip. Here's another guy who doesn't quite get it, which gives a lot of uh, confidence for us because we don't always get it. And we look at these guys and going, well, at least they asked the question, right? Philip, frustrated, says, well, Lord... It would be enough. Just show us the Father, and it will be enough, right? And Jesus says, Philip, how long have I been with you? If you have seen me, 
you have seen the Father. It is in Jesus Christ that we see the Father. This is the image of God, the, the image that we need to be filling our minds, not with the things of the old life, but the new life, right? Not the old wineskins. It's the new wine and the new wineskins. And if we look at that, we look at Christ, and, and, and we see it in, in, in our image of God, and, and we go, well, how, how is he going to respond when I mess up? When we do something willful, some malicious, sinful stuff in our lives, something shameful that we wish we hadn't done, and we feel terrible about it, and we come to God, How's God going to treat us? Our example, exactly the way he treated the woman at the well. That is how God's going to treat us. But how about those times where we think we got it? Hey, we gave a little money, extra money this week. I read a little bit more in my Bible. I prayed a little bit longer. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm doing a great job. What does God respond to those? Or what does Christ respond to those? Those that felt that way were the Pharisees. And if you look at the New Testament, most of the coming against from Christ was against the Pharisees. You whitewashed sepulchers. You guys who think you have it all together. But if you know in your heart and you're hungry for the Lord and you don't know direction and you wish to know it, right? And, and, and you're asking, yeah, I, I know I messed up, but I'm making some progress. And you come to the Lord and you ask, will you help me? How do you think Jesus is going to respond? Just like he did with his disciples He never got mad at them. The worst that happened was you of little faith. And sometimes that's us, us of little faith. You can trust in me. You can trust me with this job situation. You can trust me with this physical ailment that you have. You can trust me with this marriage that I'm going through, with this kid that I'm having a problem with, with my money issues that I'm dealing with. You can trust me, but come to me, oh, you of little faith. Come. So when we ask ourselves these hard questions, what does it look like to trust God in this situation? I think that's a good question to ask ourselves as we go through life, as we go through situation. What does it look like to trust God in my job situation, in my housing situation, in my marriage? Not, God, can you fix this? God, can you, can you take this away? It, because it, it's a lot through those times that you find out where God is and what he looks like. It's through those, those times where, where we are being pressed from all sides and we need to come to him. Because, as the Bible tells us, without faith, it is impossible to please God. We can build up our ministry. We can build up our business. We can build up our houses. But if we build it without faith and plead, we will not please God. And in the end, that is our purpose even here, is to please God, is to have him. This has always struck me in Psalm 103, 
verse 7, it says, He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. And to me, he made his ways known. Moses knew him. The people knew his deeds, his acts, and only came up to the bottom of the mountain. Moses knew God. So all this background leads us to the question, what must I do to see the real God as he is? And the answer really is, is to seek him. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. He has a personal plan for you. He has a plan that he wants to give you a future and a hope. The God he wants to talk to you, right? He wants to show you deep things in your soul. Your future where you get peace. He understands. Then you can call upon me and you will come and pray to me and I will listen. Isn't that so reassuring? I will listen. It's a promise. He's saying, I will listen. But how many of us will not even come? And you will seek me, and you will find me. Not maybe you'll find me. I'm, I'm kind of dodging you. You will find me. But here's the condition. When you seek me with all your heart. Not half-heartedly. Not, yeah, that's, that's pretty good, God, but that's not the way I would do it, so I'm going to do it this way. God says, I will be found of you. I will, you know, it, it, it's just saying, it's not about, hey, you got to be this superstar Christian. Hey, you got to be this guy in the Bible. you got to be this. you got to be that. No, it's for each and every believer if you will come and, and seek after me with all your heart, right? He says, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. He tells us to seek, I mean to ask, seek, and to knock. He wants to meet with you. But here is the deal. How? How is that going to happen? In Proverbs from, that we get from Solomon we see in Proverbs 2, he says, My son, if you will receive my word and treasure my com- commands within you. First, we seek God in his word. You will never find a man or a woman who knows God deeply who is not in his word. It is in his word that he is revealed. But it is in his word that we come to seek that relationship. Second is, so that we will incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. It's this teachable attitude we have to have. It's... It's not coming and just saying, I want to know more about this portion of the Bible. I want to know more about, you know, what Philippians breaks down and says. And I want to know the outline of it. Because he's asking us to incline our ear to wisdom and apply your heart. Apply your heart to this understanding. Because here is what he is, what he's, he's telling us. If, we, if you'll speak, I'll obey Right? That's what, what really we got to be saying. If you tell me, I will do it. Again, not if you tell me, I'll consider it. That's when God will speak. We don't want to just become smarter sinners. 
We want to become a more obedient son and daughter. So incline your, your heart to understanding. And third, it says, yes, if you cry for, for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek him, if you passionately pray, if you come before him. And this isn't just... You know, the, these, dear God, thank you for this food. Oh, God, I'm having, you know, I, I need this money now. It's seeking after what does he want. I can tell you, my prayer life was very different when my wife was in ICU than saying, hey, thank you for this food and this meal. He wants us to have that closeness, that, that, that I am so desperate. I'm coming to you, and I'm asking for you, because you're the only one who can help me. That you come with a passion in your prayer. And, and as we see, it says, if you seek her, speaking of wisdom and knowledge, right, as silver, and search for her as hidden treasure, then, and here's the result, right? Then the purpose clause will be you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. So he tells us, right, if we read the Bible, he tells us if we're looking for this, if we really want to know this treasure, if we really want to have this in our lives, then you will dis- you'll be able to discern these things if you seek me. If you come and believe, you will discover what God wants to speak to you. And he speaks through his word. He speaks through his spirit. And yes, he speaks through us as a community of Christians. What Solomon is saying, as you dig into this, right, that you need to make it a priority And he will speak. And he will speak what he wants to speak, right? Not what we want him to be speaking to us. So in all this, I'll close up with my last Tozer quote. (laughs) Since you haven't heard enough, here's my last one. So the greatness of God rouses fear within us. But his goodness encourages us not to be afraid of him. To fear and not be afraid. That is the paradox of faith. As we come to the end of this, he is calling us, our Father. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come and see. I stand at the door and knock. He is wanting of you. He is wanting this relationship. He is telling us, be strong and courageous. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He wants a relationship with us. But it truly begins with, what is your image of God? Where does he stand in your life? And how do you see them? Is his attributes the ones that we read about in the Bible? Or his, his attributes, his power, his abilities, the ones we make up in our own minds? He wants you. And he wants you to seek him and come after him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that in it, in all of it, Lord, It shows us all that you want to give us and have promised us and allow in our lives. And you want to do so much greater than we are able to see or understand the breadth and the depth and the width. Just as Paul was saying, Lord, I pray that for our hearts to seek after you, to seek what you want, to bring clarity in our mind of who you are in our lives of what your word has to say about you.
Help us not to fix who you are based on what we know. But may we draw the image of who you are by what you have told us in your word and revealed to us by your spirit and the community of your people, Lord. We just thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.